If you grew up in church, especially in a, in a more traditional church, you might have been used to when you were younger to church bazaars or like a church carnival where they would always sell all kinds of sweets and do all kinds of th- fun things. And I grew up in churches, farming communities, where we always had those kind of things. So it was always fun and you, you were so excited about the bazaar because I knew there were some old ladies who would make fudge and all kinds of sweet stuff that I loved. But one of the things I loved the most is there was always the teenagers, their job was to create the house of horrors. And you know, like in the old halls, they always had like a space underneath the stage. And that was normally the teenagers, they would get that space and then they would transform that into a scary house. And all the kids would be excited and walk through it and then the teenagers would jump out with a mask on and try to scare the kids and then it always went a little too far because the teenager would grab onto a little kid and wouldn't let him go and someone starts crying and then it's like someone kicks someone else in the face and there was always a mess, but it was so much fun. But what was interesting to me, I never wanted to be at the back because if you're walking behind people, what happens is when they go the mirror and suddenly some, something frightening jumps out from, from behind a, a black curtain, Everyone freezes, and then these guys like spray you with water, or they throw you with stuff, or whatever, to now make you feel really afraid, and I was like, the faster you move through this thing, the less they can do to you, so if I go like super fast through this maze, through this house of horrors, they can jump out, I'm gone like before they even know I was there, and um, so I always try to, to go first so that I can move out of the way, so that I won't be caught, and what is interesting to me, when I started thinking about life, I realized that life is very simple, very similar. Often in life, and whether this is relationships, work, your studies, your finances, we get to a place where we, where we feel stuck, where, where something bad is happening, almost like that kid in the house of horrors, a teenager jumps out and holds onto them, and someone else throws him with water, and he feels like he's stuck, it is bad for him, he hates where he's at, and he would have liked to be moving. And the same thing happens in relationships, right, where everything started out very, very nicely. And then one day you get to this place where you and and your loved one have so many fights and so many things go wrong that you just feel like you're stuck in this house of horrors that you can't get out of. Or in our workplace where everything started well and I had good relations with my colleagues and with my boss, but then my boss turns into, into some kind of monster and now I'm like, I don't want to be at my workplace anymore. It's frustrating to me. Every day when I go there, it's hard to go and I feel stuck and I wish I could move forward to get out of this. Even when it comes to my purpose in life, we're sometimes moving along this path of called life, this journey of life. And then we get to a place where I just start to re-evaluate everything. And in the old days, they called that the, the, the 40s, right? The midlife crisis. Today, I think like people have midlife crises in their 20s, in their 30s, in their 40s, in their 50s, and they swap jobs and do all kinds of things to figure out like, where am I going with my life? And to be honest, none of us, no human beings like to be stuck, like to be stagnant in one place. And tonight we're starting a series called Move to Grow, because I believe that movement, moving, is a prerequisite for growth in our life. In order to grow in our relationships, in order to grow at our, at our jobs that we're doing, in order to grow in our finances, everything we do, there needs to be movement in our life. The moment something goes stagnant, the moment something stops, it tends to fall apart. And there's actually, I can't even remember, I think I once actually talked about the law. There's a, there's a specific like law that they, a name that they gave it. But if you think about a car, 
I had some family members who were all in in motor industry. And what is interesting is this brand new car would be sitting on the showroom floor and every day or once or twice a week they would have to, the salespeople need to get in the car, move the car a couple of meters forward, start it, move it forward and move it backwards again. Because if that car just sits there, although it's brand new and nothing happens, if the engine doesn't turn, if the wheels doesn't turn, guess what? It starts to literally fall apart. The rubber off the tires, if, you, if you, your parents loved camping, you had to, to get the caravan off the ground because the rubber will lit- literally perish. Things go wrong when something is stagnant. And therefore, I believe we shouldn't be stagnant, but we should be moving in order to grow. And we'll be talking about this move to grow in two parts, this week and next, next week. And what I want us to do tonight is we're going to read um, from Acts 12. And we're going to read quite a long story. But this is a super, super interesting story. There was a, a man named Peter. Now, Peter was one of the 12 disciples, so one of the 12 people who initially started to follow Jesus He spent a bunch of time with Jesus. He saw Jesus doing miracles. He heard Jesus teach. He saw all kinds of amazing things that Jesus did. And then after Jesus died, he was resurrected. He rose again. He appeared to numerous people. So no one could deny the fact that Jesus was alive again. And then Jesus ascended to heaven to go back to his father. And now these guys, 11 of them that's left because Judas betrayed Jesus, he died 11 of these disciples, they had to now go and continue the work that Jesus started. So they had to go out into the world and start churches and do all kinds of things. But guess what? The Christian church back in those days, although they did amazing things for the world, and although many people, the Romans and the Jews and everyone said, wow, these people care for other other people. They take care of the widows. They take care of the orphans. They are happy. Although people could see that something was different, still the rulers didn't like Christians. The Romans killed them. The Jewish people tried to kill them. And um, we're going to read a story tonight from Acts 12 um, that talks a little bit about the spot where Peter finds himself. That's almost like in that, in that house of horrors, a place where he's stuck between two things that are really bad, and he doesn't know where it's gonna, he's going to go, and he needs some movement in his life. So we'll be reading from Acts 12, verse 1 to 17. It was about this time that King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church, intending to persecute them. He had James, the brother of John, put to death with the sword. And when he saw that this met with approval, that this was met with approval amongst the Jews, he proceeded to seize Peter also. So King Herod catches James, cuts off his head, And he's like, whoa, the people like this. So I'm just going to continue killing people. It's fun. And poor Peter sitting in jail. And um, then this happens. After arresting him, Peter was put in prison. And he was handed over to be guarded by four squads of four soldiers each. It almost sounds as if Peter was this crazy soldier or something that all these guys had to take care of him. Four squads of four soldiers each. Each And Herod intended to bring him out for public trial after the Passover. So Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. The night before Herod was to bring him to trial, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers. Okay, so he's not just in a cell. He's literally sleeping with a guard on either side. Bound, not with one, but with two chains. And sentries stood guard at the entrance. Suddenly, 
an angel of the Lord appeared and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him up. And the angel said, quick, get up. And the chains fell off Peter's wrists. Then the angel said to him, put on your clothes and sandals. And Peter did so. He said, wrap your cloak around and follow me. Peter followed him out of the prison, but he had no idea that what the angel was doing was really happening. He thought it was seeing a vision. So he's literally walking out of a prison, but he, he, he thinks he's dreaming or having a vision or something. They passed the first and the second guards and came to the iron gate leading to the city. It opened for them by itself, and they went through it. And when they had walked the length of one street, suddenly the angel left him. And then only that Peter came to himself and said, Now I know without a doubt that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from Herod's clutches and from everything the Jewish people were hoping would happen. When this had dawned on him, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John. And here was happening, also called Mark, where many people had gathered and were still praying for him. So they started praying for him when he went to jail. They're continuing this prayer. They're still praying for him. Peter knocked at the outer entrance, and a servant named Rhoda came to answer the door. When she recognized Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed. She was so excited. She ran back into the house without opening the door, and she exclaimed, Peter is at the door. You're out of your mind, they told her. When she kept insisting that it was so, they said, then it must be his angel, so like, or his ghost, or his something, but it can't be Peter. But Peter kept on knocking, and when they opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. Peter motioned with his hand for them to be quiet, and described how the Lord had brought him out of prison. Tell James and the other brothers and sisters about this, he said, and then he left for another place. That's what we're going to read tonight. If you, if you followed along in your Bibles, you can keep it open because we're literally going to look at a couple of things that happened to Peter in this story. But in this story, Peter finds himself in a really hard spot. Not only is he sitting in prison, surrounded by numerous guards, as if the big walls and the big gates and everything was not bad enough, he has a guard that's literally sleeping on each side of him. Can you imagine, like, talk about invasion of your private space, right? He had a guard on each side of him. And if that wasn't enough, he knew that not only would he appear before Herod and everyone who, who wanted to, to see him in front of the court, but he knew that his sentence would be the death penalty for doing nothing wrong. He just preached Jesus. So this dude was at a bad spot. And I think sometimes we can feel like that as well. And it doesn't mean that we necessarily have to be in jail. But we can feel like we're in jail in life. We can feel like we are locked up. We can feel like certain things are trapping us and there's no way out. I talked about stagnation. When you feel you're in a, in, in a job where you're just stagnant, where there's no growth, where there's no opportunity for you to expand. You can feel like you're trapped. You can feel like you're in a prison. When you're in a relationship that's abusive or a relationship that's broken, you can feel like you're in prison. You can feel like you're trapped. When something in your life is not happening, when, when it's not going the way you would want your life to go, it can feel like you're in jail. It can feel like you're trapped and there's no way out. So what I want to do tonight is I want to look at four lessons, four things that, that, can, that can keep us being trapped by whatever you might, might face in life whether that's a relationship or work or whatever. 
and what we can do to move to grow past this thing that's trapping us. The first thing that I see here, that the mistake, that, and it's not necessarily something that Peter did wrong, but I think it might have been something he did wrong. The first thing we shouldn't do is we shouldn't believe that our current reality is our only reality. You see, when we read the story in Acts, the story of the early church, numerous times the disciples found them in jail. They were in jail often. But most of the time you would read, they were singing songs, or they were actually sharing Jesus with people in the jail. Like Paul later on, he shared it with with the guy who was taking care of him, and then later he baptized him that same evening. All of that stuff happened while they were in jail. But Peter this time does something else. He doesn't sing, he doesn't pray, he doesn't share Jesus with other people in jail. We read in verse 6 that he was sleeping. And I don't know, maybe he was just really tired and he had to sleep. But I think sometimes what happens to us in life is that we start to sleep in the area we're in. And what I mean with that is we settle into our current reality. And we believe that that reality is the only reality there is. I'm in a relationship that's abusive, and I settle into that relationship, so I believe I don't deserve someone better. I won't find someone better to marry, because this reality that I'm now in, this abusive relationship, that is all that will ever be available to me in my life. Or I believe that my marriage is falling apart, that this reality that I'm currently in, this season that's hard for me, that this, is my, this current reality is going to be my only reality. So I believe that my marriage will never be good again, and it's going to be bad, and it's going to be hard and nasty for the rest of my life. Or I believe that my relationship with God that was once good, and now I don't really know where I'm standing with God, I believe that this reality is trapping me, this is my only reality, and that I will never move out of this. You get what I'm saying? We see no way out, so then we believe this is all there is. See, I wonder if Peter was sleeping because he saw all the guards and he saw the high walls and he saw the heavy iron gate that led to the city. And he just figured, I'm never getting out of here. So I might as well accept it and I might as well sleep. And I'm not saying tonight that we shouldn't be content with what God gives us. There should be contentment in our lives. If you have a good job, if you do have a salary, if you can eat, if, if you have a relationship that's okay, but it's not perfect right now, it doesn't mean that you should always say like, no, you know, I need to go for someone, something better. This is not enough. Now, there should be contentment in our life, but the contentment should come from a place when we know that God is giving us what we need. You see, when you are in a, in a place where you're not moving, where you're not growing, that is not where God wants you. I always see faith this way. I always see faith like a mountain. And you're on this little bicycle and you're cycling up this mountain. And sometimes the mountain is really steep, right? Your relationship is really tough. That's in moments that you feel like you're, you're in jail, that you're tied up. And sometimes it's a little more like a, a, a smooth area that's not so steep. And you just cycle like really easily. But it always goes upwards. And here's the thing. When when a mountain goes upwards and you're cycling, the moment you stop to pedal, guess what's going to happen? You're going to start rolling backwards. So I always see faith, our journey in faith, our journey with God, our journey in life. I always see it as this mountain that we're cycling out. And the moment you stop 
moving forward, you're going to go stagnant and start moving backwards. The angel came to Peter and he had to wake him up. And he said, Peter, put on your clothes, put on your sandals, put your cloak over your shoulders and follow me. And I I was wondering when I read this, like, why did the angel tell him to do all of this? You see, but I think Peter needed a change of clothes. Because sometimes a change of clothes can give you a change of perspective. Think about this for a moment. When you have a work interview and you, you come from a, from a night out, you were maybe working night shift and your clothes are all dirty and you feel sweaty and you walk into that interview, how are you going to act? You're not going to act with confidence. But if you can go home and take a shower and put on your best suit and tie, and you walk into that interview, you feel you have a different perspective. You might be tired, but you walk in with confidence and you can shake the interviewer's hand and you are ready. You see, I think Peter needed a change of clothes because maybe he settled into this new clothing that he had on in prison. Maybe he thought like this, this orange suit, if we can say it's orange, I don't know what color it was back then, but maybe he thought that orange suit was his only suit that he would wear for the rest of his life. And the angel is like, no way, dude. You need to get something new new on you. You need a change of perspective. If you accepted that your current reality is your only reality, I want to tell you, you need a change of perspective. You need to put on a new pair of clothes. You need to allow God to open your eyes to where he wants to take you, not and not just be stuck in where you are. We need a change of perspective. So that's the first one, very single, simple. Just don't believe that your current reality is your own reality. It's not. But the second thing is don't put limits on what God can do. It's interesting to me, this angel came to Peter, and Peter put on his clothes, and then he walks past the guards, and they didn't even see him. And they walk past the second group of guards, and they don't see him. And the gate opens, this huge, heavy iron gate. And he's like, man, I must be dreaming. Because I'm not going to walk past guards, and they won't see me. I'm not going to walk out a gate that just magically opens. There were no automatic gates back then. There wasn't a remote that you could take out of your pocket and press a button, and the gate opens. It was like heavy stuff. You had to remove the beam and push the gate open. But this thing is just like... By the way, I think this is where people got the idea of automation of gates and garage doors. So this thing just opened, and he walks out, and he's like, this can't be. I must be dreaming, or it must be a vision. What is interesting to me, it's not just Peter that doesn't believe that this is actually happening. The church also didn't believe that this was happening. We read in the beginning that they were praying for him, and then after he was freed, he goes back to them, and what are they doing? They're still praying. And we read specifically, the Bible mentions this, that they were praying for him. So they're like, God, please help Peter and, you know, maybe, like, help him to get free. And then Peter knocks on the door. And, and Rhoda is like, who's it? And Peter says, it's me, it's Peter. And she's so excited. She's like, whoa, our prayer worked. This is awesome. And she goes to the other ones and she tells them, listen, our prayer worked. And they're like, you must be crazy. There's no way it can be Peter. I'm like, didn't you just pray for this? Haven't you been praying for this through the night that Peter will be saved? But still, they didn't believe it. I think 
things can seem so unrealistic to change. It can seem so unrealistic that this relationship can change, that my job can change, that my financial situation can change, that I start to believe that if I can't change it, then God can't change it as well. You see, we limit God to what my own capabilities are. I put a cap on God. And I, I'm, I'm going to try my best to break through the situation. But if I can't, I believe that this same place where my cap stops, that this is also where God stops. That God can't move past this. And at the end of the day, we stay stuck in places where we shouldn't be stuck at because we limit God. We put a cap on the God that the Bible says in Ephesians 3 can do so much, infinitely more than we can even imagine or pray for. The Bible literally says, if you pray for Peter to be free, I can do more than that. I I don't need to convince the judge to let Peter go. I can just open the gates and close the eyes of the guards. I can do what I want because God is God. But we cap the God of the immeasurably, immeasurably more. This last couple of months, God has been challenging me in my own faith to really say, am I living differently than someone who doesn't have faith? See, because of Peter and another Roman soldier, a Roman criminal who believed in Zeus and all kinds of things, if they were putting jail together and one is serving the living God and one is serving a dead God, shouldn't their faith, shouldn't their reaction be different to each other? I believe it should. But the sad reality is that often we live as people who don't know the real living God. Often we live as people who don't serve a God that's capable of doing more than we can imagine or pray for. We cannot have the same reaction as all our colleagues at work. We cannot have marriages that look the same as the marriages of people that doesn't know Jesus. We cannot handle our finances in the same way. We cannot be passionate about exactly the same things. We should be different because we serve a God that is so much bigger than we can ever imagine. See, but if you're still putting limits on what God can do in your life, I want to tell you the solution to putting limits on God, the solution to any setback you might face in life is to pray. It's to pray. Because prayer does two amazing things. Okay, you don't need to even ask God what the desire of your heart is because he already knows it. But prayer does two amazing things. One, it changes our own perspective. Because when I start praying about something, it changes my perspective of God. You see, because I don't pray for God to do the stuff that I can already do. Otherwise, I wouldn't have been praying most of the time. I pray for God to do something that I cannot do. It changes my perspective of what God is capable of. It changes my perspective of my current situation. The church was praying, and I don't know how long they prayed. It doesn't seem like they were praying too long. But sometimes you might be stuck in a situation where you're praying, and it's not just one night. It becomes two nights, and it becomes three nights, and later it becomes week, and it might even become months, and you're like... Why is God not answering me? Why am I praying for this 
But it feels like there is a limit on God because I don't see God doing anything in my life. I want to tell you sometimes God uses your prayer and you praying that prayer over and over to change your own perspective, to change your perspective on God's timing, to change your perspective of your own heart and how maybe you're only using God for your own benefit. But prayer has an amazing way of changing our perspectives of helping us to see that God is not limited by what we can do. Prayer also helps us to recognize God's voice. You see, I cannot know my wife's voice if I do not spend time with her. When Peter knocked on the door, a lady called Rhoda asked, who's out there? And he said, it's me, Peter. She got so excited, she turned around, forgot to open the door, and she ran in to tell everyone that this is Peter. Can it be Peter? No, he's in jail. So one, she had faith, but two, what was interesting to me is that she knew him so well, they spent so much time together, that she recognized his voice. And when we pray, we learn to recognize God's voice. Often people will ask me like, Louis, how do God speak to me? How do I know his voice? I want to tell you, you can only know God's voice if you spend time with God. And God doesn't just have one voice. God can speak to you in any way that you will understand, whether that's a physical voice or whether that's through nature or through some kind of circumstances, through a vision, through whatever. But you will only know God's voice if you spend time with him. So don't put limits on what God can do. Rather pray about it. Rather give it to God. And if you feel like God is not answering you, if you feel like you've been praying long enough, and you're like, dude, nothing is changing. I want to tell you, then you keep praying, and you keep praying, because when Peter got to the house, and he knocked on the door, and Rhoda's like, oh, I'm going to run inside. He didn't sit back and say like, I'll just see if they come and open We read in verse 16 that he kept knocking on the door. He's like, I'm going to keep knocking until they open up. And when I read that, it immediately reminded me of a beautiful scripture in the Bible from, and I want to read it to you in Matthew 7, where Jesus was talking about prayer and about how we should speak to God. And in Matthew 7, verse 7, we read this. This is not on the screen, so you can make a note and go and read it later. But Jesus said this, ask and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened. You knock quickly, and the door doesn't open. Keep knocking, but the door will open. He says, for everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, the door will be opened. He repeats that. He says, which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if you ask for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? It's like God wants to move you forward. He wants to help you. He wants to take care of you. He doesn't want to leave you stuck in a bad spot. You need to keep asking, but don't put a cap on God. The third lesson that I'm learning is don't ignore the open doors. You see, the angel could have gone to Peter and he could have just picked Peter up and carried him out of the the prison and he could have just then put him down in front of the house. But he doesn't do that. It's God. He could have just 
snapped his fingers and Peter could have transported, like teleported to the house. But the angel goes to Peter in verse 7 and he wakes him up and he tells him, get up. Stop sleeping. Stop being stuck where you're at. Stop putting a limit on God. Stop accepting your current situation as your only situation. Get up and follow me. That's verse 8. And then Peter starts to follow this angel, and they pass the first lines of guards, and they pass the second line of guards, and then they get to this iron gate. And I want to ask you, okay, maybe one of you have been in prison and you've tried to escape before, but I highly doubt it. But um, if, if, you, if you get to that last gate, I can assure you it's going to be scary, because if you go through that gate, especially in that times, they're probably going to kill you if they find you on the other side. So to step through that last door, to step through that gate, that must have been insanely scary. And I want to tell you, when God gives us an open door, it might be scary. Because an open door means this. I am in a familiar spot. I am in my jail cell. I am sleeping cozily between my two guards. And now I have to go out the door into the night, the unfamiliar. We read when they talk about this iron gate that they had to go through it. You see, they could have stopped in front of the gate, but then he wouldn't have been free. They had to go through the gate. I want to tell you tonight, if you stay where you're at, if you just accept your current situation as your only one, if you put a limit on God, and even if you do all of that and he still opens a door for you and you don't go through that door, you will stay where you're at. We have to move through the door. I remember in 2013, Yolanda and I were leading a church in um, close to Joburg that was growing really fast. And we got this call to plant a church. And the closer it got to the time of moving to Cape Town, the scarier it got. Because on this one side, we've got a church that we know. We know that it's going well, and on this side, we've got uncertainty. We don't know if anyone is going to follow us. We don't know if we're going to have money. We don't know if it's going to work out. But if we didn't go through the door, we wouldn't have been here tonight. Pro Dea wouldn't have been in existence. And I want to tell you tonight that we need to go through open doors. And if you say, but Louis, I'm in a bad spot and I have no idea if there is an open door, if God is an open door. How do I know if God is opening a door? One, he didn't walk alone through, did he? He went with the angel. The angel said, follow me. So he wasn't just like, I'm going to go where I want. That door looks good. I'm going to go this way. You know, I want, I want a job in this kind of line, so I'm just going to apply for every job in that line. I'm just going to walk through whatever door I see. He didn't do that. The angel said, get up and follow me. So he had to follow after God's messenger through the door that God has laid out for him. So if you want to follow the right door, we get back to our previous point of prayer. You cannot go through the right door if you do not know God, if you do not spend time with God, if you do not pray. You have to know God, and then you have to take that step. Another way that I believe that we can see if this is a door from God or just me that wants to go my own way is a door that God opens normally doesn't just feel really good. It's normally a little scary. You know why? Because God wants us to grow in our faith all the time, whether that's 
in your relationships, whether that's at work, God wants us in every situation we're in, in any sphere of life, He wants us to grow in our faith. So when God opens a door, He always wants to push us beyond our current limitations of our faith. He wants to push us to a new level. He wants us to grow in our faith. And I've seen that most of, of the time in life, when God opens a door for me, it will be clear, I will feel God pushing me in that direction, but it will always be a little bit uncomfortable. When it's just too good to be true, it probably is too good to be true. Then it might just be used like, I want to go the easy route. But the fourth thing I learned here, and the last thing from Peter, is don't try to do it all alone. We all are going to face situations in life where we struggle to grow, where we're stagnant, where we're in a bad spot, where we feel trapped. Don't try to do it alone. In verse 5, before this whole story is laid out, the Bible says, and the church prayed for him. They didn't have to say that. They could have just said, he was in prison and this is what happened and he got out. They said the church prayed for him. Not just Peter prayed, not just some of the disciples prayed, the church prayed for him. And that tells me that there was a group of people that surrounded him, that cared for him so much that in his greatest hour of need, they were praying through the night for him. And do you know why I think the Bible also said that they were praying for him while he was sleeping? Because maybe he was just so tired. Maybe he was so worn out spiritually, emotionally, physically, that at that moment he wasn't capable of praying himself. You see, when we get to our lowest point in life, when we feel like we can't continue, when we feel like I can't pray another prayer, like I can't trust God anymore, like I can't get through this hurdle, that is the moment that our friends in church, our brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ, that is the moment that they help us up. And that is the moment their faith and their prayers starts carrying us. I want to tell you today, if you are alone, it's probably your own fault. Like, what? That's hard words. If you're alone, you're pro- it's probably your own fault. One of the most common things we've heard since we moved to Cape Town is that people are really alone. We haven't been alone. Because from day one, we decided to surround ourselves with people who care about us. People who follow Jesus with us. People who love us. You see, and Peter could have gone when he left the prison... What's the first thing he did when he realized he's actually free? He didn't go and hide. He didn't try to get out of the city. The first thing he did was he had to find these guys who were praying for him to tell them that he was free. He had to go to them. And he knocked on the door and no one opens. Rhoda runs away because she's super excited. So he keeps knocking because he's like, I'm not going to be alone. I'm not going to celebrate my freedom alone. I'm going to do it with other people. So don't try to do it all alone. Make sure that you're part of a community like this, where there's people who will carry you when you don't have the ability to carry yourself. Let me tell you today, God wants to move and grow us to more. He wants to expand our capabilities. He wants to expand our territory. He wants to move us to a place of strength. But we need to be in rhythm with Him. If you just accept your current situation, if you put a limitation on, on God, 
if you ignore the doors is opening for him and you don't have other people who can maybe even help you through all of these things around you, you're not in rhythm with God. You're not in rhythm with his church. You're not in rhythm with his plan and you're going to miss out. God wants to move you to grow, but we need to be in rhythm with God. So let's start moving. Let's close our eyes and I'm going to pray for us. Jesus, thank you that you never leave us where we're at. You always grow us. You always stretch our faith. You always push us to become better leaders, to become better husbands, better fathers. And I just want to pray for every single person here tonight who feels like they are stuck. Not at a place in their life where they are lying between two bad things and they don't know how to get out of it. I pray, Lord, that we will not accept that reality. I pray that you will open our eyes to your greatness and your glory and your power and that we will trust you and that we will follow you where you lead. Thank you for a community like this. Thank you that we have each other. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Hi, I'm Louis Skippers, the lead pastor of Prodeo Church, and I just wanted to thank you for listening to this message today. If you felt inspired by it and you would like to see this continue, we would love to get some of your support. So follow one of the three links below. There's two for South African donors, one a SnapScan link and one our banking details. Or if you're an international listener, there's also a link for you to follow if you wanted to give. So from my side, thank you again and may God bless you.